Yeah, okay. I got nervous for a second. I'm out of town and I didn't bring my like big computer. I just brought my iPad and I'm like, oh no. Um, okay, we are good to go. Thank you everyone for being here and joining me. Um, this class is actually dedicated by the Bernas of Chabad of NDG in honor of Leah Nyman. And um, that's really cool that it, this class got a sponsorship and a dedication. If anyone ever wants to do that, please feel free to email me at clearasmudblogger.com and we can always make that happen. The other thing that I wanna to talk to you about is, I, we mentioned it a little bit last week, um, this amazing app called Schmoozy. What this app does is incredible. It kind of combines like every kind of uh, social media piece into one. So you can listen to podcasts, you can chat, you can send videos, you can send texts, you can do everything on it. So what I'm doing is not only am I gonna have my classes on YouTube video, sometimes that's not convenient for people just watching a video. They just wanna like put the audio on when they're working out or driving, Schmoozy has a podcast um, section and basically you can just turn it on and you can listen to the audio through Schmoozy. So it's like any kind of podcast, which is really cool. And the other cool thing is I created a forum for each separate class, which I will point, which I put my points to ponder on there, the things that we meditate on, I will put on the Schmoozy app. Each chapter has a different section. So if you ever have a question, you're reviewing, you're listening to something, um, that is a great way to um, start discussions. And, and each chapter has its own board. So you can go and review, you can ask questions. And it's, I'm really excited about it because it's just another access point and another way to access this information, an easy way. All you have to do is download the app. It's super user-friendly. That's another thing why this app's amazing. And just spread the word. So, because if people can't be on here live, it's another great way to listen to it and makes it really accessible. So um, without further ado, we're gonna get started. We are actually going to do chapter seven and eight together um, for many, many reasons. Number one, um, they work together really well. And number two, some of, remember we discussed that this Tanya is like, vast and big and it, it can it, you'll never tire of studying it you can go it over and over and over again but the point of this class is to go over it kind of like in a bird's eye view but in a way that's practical for us and in a way that actually affects and we can apply to our life so we're not learning really to discuss technical things and all the interconnections and intricacies like that's not the point of this class the point of this class is taking tanya and making it applicable to us. So um, chapter seven and eight has a lot of concepts that we wanna address and talk about, but we don't need to get into too much depth at this point. So that is why we're going to combine these classes. Even so, I think we'll, you know, it'll be a little bit of a shorter class as well. It's also very much connected to chapter six. Like I mentioned last week, I wasn't sure if we were gonna do six, seven and eight or separate. So six, we did standalone. We are, it's a direct continuation from chapter six. So what did we talk about in chapter six? We talked about the composition of the animal soul. And what did we say? Everything in the world, it has equal parts. So whatever there's positive in the world, there's also going to be the negative, 
right? And we learn, so that also applies to our soul. Whatever our godly soul has, our animal soul has as well. So it has the 10 faculties, right? Split into two parts, intellectual and emotional. It has the three modes of expression, which are thought, speech, and action. So everything the soul has, um, the godly soul has, the animal soul has as well. What we're doing in chapters seven and eight is we're taking the microcosm and we're applying it to macrocosm. So whatever we have in our own body, which is a microcosm, we are now applying to the world, which is macrocosm. So every like, so just like inside of our body, um, we have good and evil. How did we describe good and evil last week? Remember, connected and disconnected, right? We're not saying disconnected is always evil. It's just disconnected from God. So we have both of those things in our body. We also have that in the world. There's disconnected, kedusha, holiness, and there's klipa. Remember we, we introduced the word klipa last week. Klipa is a shell. Dis um, disconnected unless um, we do something with it. What did we say? What was klipa? What's the definition of klipa? Klipa is a shell. So either we have a translucent shell, a transparent shell, which is things that we can elevate that have the godly spark in it is accessible. We can see it, we can elevate it. Or we even touched upon, and we're gonna get more into it in this class about the opaque shell, right? The, the klipa, the opaque shell where godliness is not accessible to us. Of course it has godliness because it wouldn't exist if it didn't have it, but it's not something that we're supposed to relate to. It just doesn't apply to us, okay? So what is an example of something that's holy, something in the world that's holy, Kedusha, something that's connected to godliness very apparently? That is something like a Torah scroll or a mezuzah or a pair of tefillin. Those things are made from physical objects, cowhide, ink, parchment, those things were originally klipas noga. They were originally neutral and they were now elevated to holiness. So those items are obviously holy, right? Then what's an example of a neutral thing? A cup of water. A cup of water isn't negative and it isn't holy. It depends. What are you going to do with that cup of water? Are you going to make a blessing on it and drink it? That would automatically elevate it to holiness. Now, the interesting thing is, is that 99% of the world is neutral. We have very, very, very few things in the world that are, we have very few physical items in the world that are Kedusha, that are holiness, that the actual physical item is holy without any interaction with it. Torah school is holy. No matter if you're using it or not, the Torah school remains holy, right? And we have very, very, very little things that are actually unholy. Most of the world is made up of this neutral shell, this, this ability to either elevate it or disconnect it further. So to me, that's extremely empowering because we have, it's like we have the world, right? What's that expression? You have the world at your fingertips. That's literally what we're saying. We have the world at our fingertips. Now, what are we going to do with it? Okay. So um, just to make it very clear, we have two kinds of klipa, right? We have redeemable klipa and irredeemable klipa, okay? 
Another way to describe that is translucent or opaque. Okay, neutral, it has the, the potential for holiness. Leave it alone, don't touch it, right? Those are the differences between these two kinds of klipas. Now, what, what also we have to keep in mind is that there are neutral objects, right? The, the world is made up of neutral objects, mostly neutral objects, but there's no such thing as a neutral action. We need to differentiate, right? Either there's no such thing as spiritual, you're spiritually neutral. Either your activities are an act of God or they're not, okay? That is one place in Judaism where it's pretty black and white. In Judaism, there's a lot of gray, there's a lot of gradations, there's a lot of what, you know, on the scale or what you're talking about, depends what you're doing, right? There, there's a, oh, there's not, not everything's black and white. There's a lot of gray area and there's a lot of room for um, interpretation or explanation. But one thing that is black and white is your actions are either connecting you or disconnecting you. There's no such thing as spiritually neutral. There's such thing as neutral objects, right? We just discussed that 99% of the world is neutral, but your actions are either connecting you or disconnecting you. There's no such thing as a spiritually neutral action. This is very powerful, you know, like, you know, when you think about like what you do in a day, like how many things are actually connecting you to God? Now it's, it could be a little overwhelming, but just take it one step at a time. Like it's a really cool perspective to, to start to think like there's no staying steady. I'm either going up or I'm going down. I'm connecting to God or I'm disconnecting. So yes, there's neutral items, there's neutral object, objects, but there's no neutral action. That doesn't exist. Okay, so we have a general question, okay? We know that 99% of the world is touchable, right? We can access the holiness, we can elevate it. What happens if we actually um, engage with something that is untouchable? right? That is from the klipa tmeos, which is from the untouchable shell. We're not supposed to touch it, right? Like there's a lot of, we, we mentioned the ham sandwich, but there's a lot of things that, which is like untouchable. You can't elevate a ham sandwich, but there's a lot of other things that fall into that category, inappropriate relationship, um, any, any, any of the transgressions that we do, that's untouchable klipa. So what happens, because we're human, what happens if we were to engage in that untouchable realm, the negative realm? What is well, we're doomed forever? Like we said, there's nothing we can do to elevate that. So what happens? Um, and before we get to the answer, we are going to um, delve into a little bit more detail of what's um, what's permissible and what's prohibited and why. Okay, so there's two. I'm going to introduce you two more terms that we're going to learn today. Asr and matur. Asr means how we generally translate it is prohibited, something that is not allowed. Okay, what it actually really means is tied down. Okay, Tied like stuck, tied down, right? Makes sense. Something that's prohibited is tied down. You can't touch it. Matur is permissible and it actually means untied. Okay, so something that is usser, something that's prohibited is bolted down, meaning you're not going to be able 
to connect to its energy. It can't be done. It's, it's, it's locked. It's under lock and key. It's tied down. It's bolted down. And I love learning that explanation because it just makes so much sense, right? Well, prohibited. Why? What's, why is it prohibited? Because it's tied down. It's tied. It's bolted down to that negative energy that we can't access. Mutter is accessible. It's untied. We can access the godly energy if we do it in the right way. So the question is, and this is a perspective thing. The, the, one of my favorite things about Tanya is you're not always learning something revolutionary, something new. What happens is, is you're gaining a different perspective. And this is, we're going to have a little bit of a perspective shift here. Um, the question is, is it tied down because it's prohibited or is it prohibited because it's tied down? Okay. And we're going to understand the, the, the subtlety of that difference. It's all about perspective. And just having a little bit of a subtle perspective can change the way we do things and we view things. Okay. So if you think that it's, um, if you think that it's prohibited because it's tied down, what does that mean? Prohibited because it's tied down. What does that mean? This means that inherently it's useless to me. This item is inherently useless to me. So Hashem gave me like a permission slip. Hashem said, don't bother with it, right? Because it's going to be a waste of your time. You cannot access it. So inherently it's tied down. Inherently it's bolted and it's connected to negative energy that we can't access to. So therefore God prohibited it. And it's actually a kindness. It's actually God giving you a cheat sheet. Instead of us trying to have to figure out, does this work or does this not work? Let me try, let me fail. God is saying, don't, e don't even try. Like this is tied down. You cannot, it's like, um, it's like when you go into the clothing store and the clothing has like a beeper, you know, and you try to leave the clothing store and it beeps, right? It's, it's beeping because you cannot take it without buying it, right? So it's, it's tied down, meaning it's nothing to do with you. It's not because you're not capable. It's not because it doesn't have, God doesn't have faith in you. It's, it's inherently tied down. So it becomes prohibited to you. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Okay. It's the restriction is actually, if you look at it, it's actually a favor. It's letting me know not to what, letting me know what not to waste my time with. Okay. So it's off limits because it's tied down. Now, the other perspective, which I think is probably the more common perspective till now, which hopefully we're going to change, is that it's the opposite. Hashem tied it down because it's prohibited. Basically, Hashem's saying, like, I'm, I'm not letting this be accessible to you because I don't think you're strong enough to handle this. And so I'm making it prohibited for you because you're not, you're not capable. You're not strong enough. Basically inherently it's prohibited and that's why it's tied down. Do you understand the subtle difference? So it's basically saying like, I don't take the analogy the other way. I don't trust you not to steal the clothing from the store. So I'm putting a beeper on it. The only reason why the beeper's there is because you can't take it. Instead of the only reason why you can't do it is because it's engaged in unholiness. Are you, are you here for the subtle difference? Yeah. Basically this, you're not, not so much Paula. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sum it up. What I want you to have in this perspective shift is that 
this is something that God is doing us a favor. God is kindly looking upon us and saying, it's not that I don't have faith in you. It's not like I don't think you can handle it. It's because this is, this is inherently um, occupied in negativity. It's, it's connected to a negative energy. It's inherently tied down to the klipa. And so instead of you banging your head against the wall and trying to elevate this thing, I'm telling you, don't go there. It's not there. It's, it's not meant for you. The other perspective is you can't handle this. This is prohibited for you. So now I'm going to bolt it down to make sure you don't get to it. It's just, it's just, uh, is it, uh, is it, uh, is it a negative outlook or a positive outlook? How are you looking at it? So basically, how are you looking at your relationship with God? Are you looking at God as, as, a, as the no, as the no person? Like you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this. So I'm going to make all these things prohibited. Or are you going to look at God with the perspective of like, wow, 99% of the world is accessible to me. 1% of the world is not accessible to me. Instead of me trying to figure out what's accessible and what's not, God is saying, here, here's the 1% that's accessible. How do we know? The Torah tells us do, do what to do, what not to do. The Torah says these things are not accessible to you. So I'm going to tie it down. Uh, uh, so it's prohibited because it's already tied down. It's, it's just a subtle perspective that kind of like, huh, oh, like this is not because anything that I can control. It's not because God doesn't have faith in me. It's just because inherently this object is, is not accessible and is off limits. And God is doing me a kindness by telling me like clear sign, like no trespassing. Think of it as a no trespassing sign, you know? Okay. Any questions on this concept before we move on? Cause I know like it's a, it's a subtle difference, but I, I wanted to go into it because it's a powerful difference. It's so much of our Judaism is a perspective. And so many times when we hit ourselves against the wall, when we feel unstimulated or, or not connected, it's because we, we, we have a, perspective that is getting us stuck. And if we can continue during Tanya to kind of unstuck, unstick our perspectives, um, I think we start to open up a whole new relationship with God that wasn't, um, that wasn't open for us. Because so much of it is, remember what we learned is how we think is how we feel is how we act. So it starts here. It starts to, it starts on how we think. How are we thinking about our relationship with God? Is this a scary, like, um, dominating yes no relationship or is this like wow thank you god for making this clearer to me so i don't have to keep on going into these stumbling blocks okay so um so now back to the question what if we actually do because we're human right like we're not tzaddikim remember and that's not even our goal so what happens if we do stumble and we do end up engaging in a prohibited activity, right? What happens then? Are we completely stuck? Of course, God never will leave us stranded. What's the, there's one time, there's one opportunity, there's one scenario where we can elevate something that was prohibited. What would that be? That looks like, we all heard of the word teshuva, repentance, okay? So it only works after the fact, okay? And you cannot do it intentionally. 
You cannot say I'm going to sin and get this, do this thing because it's really tempting to me, but don't worry, God, after I sin, I will repent for it. That's not authentic. That is not going to work. So don't try, don't try this at home. Don't do that. It only works if it's after the fact and unintentional. So how does that work? You, we transgress. I'm not, we transgress. We do something that wasn't allowed. There's two types of chuva. Don't think God's going to make this easy for us because this is, remember, this is a bolted down thing. In order for this to get unbolted, it's going to take quite some effort, even after the fact. So there's two types of chuva, which we're going to briefly discuss. The first type of chuva, which is repentance, actually teshuva means reconnecting because teshuva reconnects us to Hashem. The the common word is repentance, but that's not really the actual translation of chuva. So the first kind of teshuva is whatever we did something wrong we feel bad we, hopefully we're not going to do it again we feel remorseful we didn't you know we made a mistake and we tell god like sorry we're, we're going to try not to do that again that is chuva that's going to get you only so far that's going to kind of reconnect you to god but it's not going to transform your transgression it only gets you so far. You, you repair your connection with God. I always like to refer to tshuva like, um, like a rope, right? Um, you sever your connection and then you retie the knot. So sometimes it even gets you a little closer to God, right? Because you're, when you retie something, the rope's shorter, right? Um, but then there's another kind of tshuva. This tshuva is tshuva ila'a, the higher tshuva comes from love. This tshuva from love is on a completely different level. You do something that's negative. It's coming from the unredeemable klipa. It's opaque. You're not supposed to have touched it, but you did, right? It pains you so deeply that you, you're so distraught by the separation that it caused that you are so not only are you just remorseful, you are so much more attentive and you're so much more aware of your relationship with God that you don't want anything to mess it up again. So your relationship with God not only is repaired, it becomes better. It's enhanced by this transgression because you, you know, like you make a mistake, you're like, I'm never going to do that again, right? You're so distraught and pained by the disconnection that it um, that it caused you that you are so vigilant you're so hyper vigilant of your service of God in the future that not only was your connection repaired but it was enhanced because there was no way that your connection would have been this strong if you wouldn't have experienced the disconnect sometimes we have to disconnect before we, we can connect on a very very much deeper level now yes it sounds like yeah, 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 like that makes sense. But to actually accomplish that takes a lot of work. The, the first kind of truth was way more common and way easier, right? We regret, we repair our connection and move on. And chances are we're, we're slipping again, right? Like, because we're human and that's a very, very common way of repentance and it works and it's very powerful. But if you want to be able to transform something that was completely bound by the negative klipa, you're going to have to work a little harder, right? It's going to have to pain you. It's going to have to affect you on such a deep level that you are so, so careful by the, by your, your connection and your relationship with Hashem. It's kind of like, um, a person who, um, 
was is in the desert and doesn't have water, right? Is thir thirsting for water so much and he comes out of the desert and he appreciates the water so much because he was dehydrating, right? So um, that is kind of what it's like. Like, it's not just, oh, I was thirsty and now I'm gonna drink of water. Thank you for the water, right? It's like, I was dehydrated, I was passed out. Now I have the water, I'm not gonna take the water for granted. So this is, a, this is called the Chuva Ila, and it's the chuva out of love and it's the higher level of chuva. And this is the only way while we're still alive that can elevate negativity. Okay. So um, if, if we, let's, let's make it clear. We don't want to do this like on purpose, right? Like, are, we're really supposed to stay away from the negativity. Like this is not a message to like go mess up and try to fix it, right? That's never how it, and cause we said like, that's never gonna work. It doesn't work. And Hashem knows our insides. Like we can't fool him, right? So we really wanna try to stay on, on the straight and narrow, right? We wanna, we wanna heed the warning signs. We wanna heed like the no trespassing signs. Like it's kind of silly. Like don't get shocked. Like, I don't know, I live in Montana and like no trespassing is a really big deal. Like you do not trespass because someone will shoot you and they, and they shoot you and they'll, they will ask questions later and it's completely legal. Like you trespass, you know? So don't be surprised if you trespass and you get shot. Like that's, that is your choice. You deliberately separated from God. Now, um, so we do want to adhere to those no trespassing signs, but you remember the time, remember who Tanya is talking to? We're talking to aspiring Bainonis, okay? So we are working, we're working on the struggle. I don't think any of this, I'm gonna speak for myself, I definitely trespass a lot, right? Like we're, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, am I, am I just completely a bad person and am I doomed because I trespassed and I um, don't have any ability to rectify my actions? I have the ability. Now the question is, am I going to do it? Right. Am I going to use this ability to actually repair my relationship with God? Now, chances are, it's going to be a lot easier to do the first kind of tshuva and just repair my relationship and move on. But am I going to transform the negative into something positive, which is extremely powerful when you can transform something that was completely stuck in negativity and then transform that energy to, to that's now something positive. Now that's very powerful but it's not gonna come easily. Um, I wanna digress for um, any questions before I move on. My, okay. So I wanna digress quickly um, into something that seems a little off topic, but is very connected. And that is um, relationships and why we act the way we act. Tanya is very, very practical and I think it's, it's so powerful. And even just by learning it without actually changing anything really affects how we view the world and what, what filter and lens we see things through. But it's also very demanding. I'm not gonna lie to you and say like piece of cake, like Tani's demanding of us. It actually expects a lot from us. So the one thing that I was, when I was preparing this chapter that I came across is that even our relationships, like why are we nice to people? Why are we nice to people? 
if we're nice to people because we're we're inherently nice and we like the way it feels to be nice to people and it's it's the proper thing to do and it's you know social norms and we like to be respectful people that is um great it's not godly okay so what i what we come across in tanya so many times which i think is very important to remember is that Warm, fuzzy feelings doesn't equal godly. Things that we do that make us feel good, is it, it's not bad. It's just not necessarily godly, right? So you can ask, well, what's the difference? If I'm being nice to someone, um, well, what, to, according to, to Torah, why should we be nice to someone? It's because they're created in the image of God, just like us. And they deserve to be treated in that way. And that's what God wants from us. So we're, we're, we're kind and nice to other people because that's what God expects from us. That's what God wants from us. And we're all created in the image of God. That is the inherent reason why we are kind to other people. Now you can think, what's the difference? The, act, the end action is the same. I'm still, I'm nice. Who cares what the difference is of why I'm being nice? And I'll tell you where it turns into a problem. If you're being nice because you know, it makes you feel good or it's, or it's socially acceptable or you want to be looked at a certain way, what happens when it's not convenient for you to be nice anymore or it's, it's cumbersome or bothersome? You stop being nice because it doesn't fit into your life. But if your reason is because I'm nice and I'm kind because God said so and everybody's creating the image of God and this is what God wants from me, no matter what happens, no matter what comes in your way of being nice, you're still going to be nice because it's not about you. It's not about how it makes you feel, okay? So in the end, there is a very, very big difference on why you're doing the things that you do. Sometimes we might not recognize it because we are not inconvenienced. But if your only reasoning is to fit in or to be kind because it works for you and it makes you feel good and it's the right, whatever, like we're gonna hit a, a situation where it's inconvenient. And the only way that we push through an inconvenient situation and still act in a way that's godly is if we're doing it for a godly reason. So what, why, why does this even fit in here? It's because even, like we said, remember, there's no neutral action. So even being nice, like you think it's a good action, it's not necessarily godly. Okay, so perspective shift. Remember perspective shift. We want to try to add God to our lives in as much as we can. So yes, that seems like a little extreme, but that's Tanya for you, right? It's always going to push you. It's going to push you to your boundaries. And it's going to say like, it's demanding, like, don't just be nice to people because it makes you feel good. That's not godly. That's kind of selfish, right? Like, which is okay. You want to have nice people in the world, but don't get confused that you're being godly when you're being nice to someone, unless it's coming from a godly person place. And this is something that I always, we always have to talk about because we live in a world where how, how spirituality makes you feel is translated into godliness. And what is important to understand is that Judaism doesn't always feel good. We don't always get the warm fuzzies by listening to God. Okay. There are, there are things that we encounter that the Torah wants from us that actually doesn't feel good. And for every person that's different, some people gravitate towards charity, some towards lighting Shabbos candles, but there's always going to be the things that are hard for us. And if we're only 
um, serving God when it feels good for us, we're going to get off track because warm, fuzzy doesn't equal godly. Okay. So I like to say like in, in Montana, it's very, very common to say, I, I feel the most spiritual and godly when I'm in the mountains. And when I'm looking at beautiful nature, that's beautiful. And it's, it's important to feel connected to nature and to God, because that might inspire you to be more connected to God. But that's not, a, that's not godly. You're not fulfilling God's will by standing in nature and then making it feel like you're, the, you're having the warm fuzzies. It's not, it's not, I think we should all do it because nature, nature is beautiful and it's important to recognize Hashem's creation, which then inspires us to be connected to God but don't confuse it with a godly action. Like you can't, instead of davening, instead of praying, go to the beach, right? It feels better, it feels good, but it's not, it's not godly, right? And then it's hard to hear sometimes because we so sometimes get distracted by how we feel. And if like, well, if Judaism doesn't make me feel good, then why should I do it? And my answer is figure out a way to make Judaism feel good. Don't suffer and the Tanya will as the chapters goes on, Natanya is very, very cognizant of wanting us to feel like we want to, we don't want to serve God just because we have to, we want to want to serve God, right? We want to want to. But sometimes getting to that place means we do things that don't necessarily feel warm and fuzzy and connected, okay? That was my little digression. Okay, now, what happens? Okay, we, so we answered the question, is it possible to um, elevate the negative at all. And we said, yes, there's one opportunity. It has to be after the fact, and it has to be with this great teshuva that connects you to God in such a powerful way that it couldn't have been done without that disconnection, right? It's transforming the actual negative to the positive. Now, what happens if we don't do that teshuva? And you know, what happens to our soul? What happens to us? And this is where the Tanya will take a very short amount of time and talk about the afterlife because in Hasidus, we don't dwell on that. You'll find very, very, very few places that talk about heaven and hell, Gehenna and, and whatever. Like it's not a common theme because it doesn't really serve a very practical purpose. Usually what it does is just scare people. And that's not how we do things. We don't scare you into your relationship with God. It's not going to last. Anything coming out of fear isn't going to last because it's, you can't live in fear your whole life, right? So the Tanya spends very, very little time talking about what happens after you die to your soul if it has transgressions that weren't um, repented for in this world. So the Tanya says, okay, you, you need to know just because it's important to know, but we're not dwelling on this and we're not talking about this a lot. So what happens is there is something called Gehenim. There is something that's called what you would call, I guess the proper word is purgatory, okay? And your soul goes through a cleansing process for all the sins that weren't repented for. There's different types of purgatory. There's the Gehenna of fire. There's the Gehenna of ice, depending on our snow. I forget what it's called, but depending on what transgressions your soul is still carrying will depend on the type of Gehenna it's going to go through, the type of purgatory it's going to go through, and for how long, and for how intense, right? So the sins that we do that are untouchable sins, that's going to be a certain type of purgatory. But guess what? Your body, still, your soul is going to still have to cleanse for even the things that we did that just weren't godly, right? We're not only cleansing for his actual sins, 
we're cleansing for things that the neutral stuff that we thought like, okay, I'm, I'm eating this sandwich and I didn't make a blessing or I'm eating the sandwich and I'm using the energy for something that's not godly. That stuff is your soul still has to cleanse for. It's not going to be as an intense cleansing, cleansing as completely prohibited things, but our soul, most people in this world, if you're not at Sadiq is going to be, your soul is going to be going through some type of cleansing process before it gets to relaxing and in heaven. Okay. So this is only, um, mentioned because you had a question about it, right? The Tanya is very interesting. The Tanya is basically, um, the Alter Rebbe, like answering questions, right? Remember we said in the beginning, like the Alter Rebbe can't answer every question for every person a million times. So we said, let me just put it all in a book. And these are the, this is like your journey. And at, when you get to this point of journey, this is a question that you have and let's get further in our journey. So this is a question like, very common question. Well, what happens if I don't do teshuva, right? So we need, so the, the altar is going to answer us. And he's going to say, yeah, you know, there's something called purgatory and it's not very fun for your soul. Um, and if you want to save your soul as, from as much purgatory as possible, you know, do the best you can, do teshuva when you can, but some of it, your soul is going to have to cleanse for. So it's important information to know, not important information to dwell on. I could go into more details about how long is this purgatory and what does it feel like and how long does it last? Is that practical for us? Remember, we're learning Tanya in the with the with the lens of how is it going to change my life in this world right now? Is it going to help to know all the many many details of purgatory? Doesn't help me. I'm assuming it's not going to help you. So that's why we're not going to spend so much time on that actual topic. But it's important to know. And it's important for us to realize that our actions, what is the, what's the thing that we learn the most from this is that our actions have consequences, right? You don't get a free ride. No one's getting a free ride. If you can repent for your actions in this world, the better. But our actions are not, they, we don't just do something and it disappears into the cloud. And it never, you know, like we're humans, Hashem is holding us accountable. Our actions do have consequences. The, mo the more we're aware and present, of our actions, negative and positive. We all, you know, the tiny also doesn't focus on reward. It's not doing that either. Why? Because that's not the point. It's not the point of your connection to God, right? So the more we are aware that everything we do, we have ramifications. Who tell, who, like, this is how we talk to our kids, right? Like, you know, it's not, we don't do punishments anymore. That's not a popular way to parent your kid. Like, you're going to do this and you're going to be punished. What do we do? We teach our kids that, you know, every single action has a natural consequence, right? What's a natural consequence? What's an example of a natural consequence? If your teenager misses curfew, a natural consequence is, is that their keys are taken away for the next week, right? Like it's not a punishment. It's just a natural consequence for not showing responsibility, right? If, you know, so this is how the, the spiritual world works too. This is not to punish us. It's to show us that when we engage in negativity, it has a natural consequence on our soul. It's not a punishment. It's just what happens naturally. So the more we can relate to it in that way, instead of like a brimfire and brimstone, you know, kind of Judaism is not about fire and brimstone. It's not about risk and reward and, and punishment. And you'll, you'll, you'll have to look very hard to find that in Chassidus, anywhere in Chassidus. You're not going to find it. You're going to find little talks about it, but it's never going to be a topic that's discussed because it's not what's important. And um, this is how chapter eight ends, okay? Just, it says, remember, you know, er, 
every soul is going to, you know, whatever we don't accomplish in this world is going to go through a cleansing process um, after it's um, passed on. And then we move right on to the next topic, which is next chapter. Okay. So um, that is actually um, covers chapters seven and eight. Seven, let's do a quick review. And then if anyone has questions before meditation, let me know. Okay. Let me know in the chat box. You can even unmute yourself. It's all doable. Okay. I'm going to review a little bit from chapter six because it's so connected. So I want you to have a really great continuous picture before we leave today. Chapter six, animal souls, just like the godly soul, right? Um, and has all the same faculties. It has all the same um, modes of expression, all the same as the godly soul, just a matter of how you're using it. We learned about the definition of Kedusha and Klippa, holy and unholy. What does it really mean? Surrendered or not surrendered. Either something surrendered to God or unsurrendered to God. Either your actions are godly or they're not godly, okay? Um, the animal soul, where does the animal souls come from? What's its source? It comes from Klippas Noga. comes from the neutral source because we can either use our animal soul for godliness right? When we're doing a mitzvah, we're actually using our animal soul for something godly or unholy. So it's, it can go either way. So then we move down to chapter seven, which took the microcosm of our internal personal, you know, world. And we're now applying it to macrocosm, to the bigger world. In this world, there is holy uh, and unholy. Very, very little is either holy inherently or unholy. 99% of the world is neutral, which leaves the world at our fingertips. We have the power to elevate and uplift most of this world. There are very, very few things that are inherently unholy. What are we supposed to do with that? Stay away. No trespassing. Don't go there. Why? What is the perspective we want to handle, we want to take? Is because it's inherently tied up. So therefore, because it's inherently tied up, God does us a favor and prohibits it so we don't mess up okay we're looking at this from the kind perspective like god is looking out for us he doesn't he wants to he doesn't want us to have like a a blind obstacle in front of us he wants to be very clear to us what is not touchable okay chapter eight if we actually transgress what happens is there any way to fix that there's one way after the fact a very very high level of teshuva to transform that it actually transforms the negative to positive. What is the lower level of chuva? It just reconnects you to God, but it doesn't transform the negativity into positive positivity. That's what the higher level of chuva does. If we don't do chuva, what happens? Our soul will go through a cleansing process after we pass. Okay, that is the review of the three chapters. Seven and eight we covered today. Six was last week. Any questions before we go to our short meditation. Guys, no, everything's super clear. All right, <laughs> I will, I'll take that. Um, okay, um, we'll do a meditation. If there's any questions after that, once you're kind of sitting with the, the thoughts, let me know. Okay, take a deep breath, get yourself comfortable. In through your nose, out through your mouth. 
focus on your breath. Just go with it, okay? Notice, is your breath heavy or shallow or deep and long? Sometimes to help focus on your breath, you can do like an even count, like four counts in, four counts out. It can help you regulate and just really focus on your breath. But if it's not doing that for you, just let your breath take you where it takes you. I want you to visualize all the tension that's in your body melting away through your extremities, through your fingers, through your toes, up your head. Just let all the tension just melt away. Visualize it. What does it, what does it look like or feel like to you? Is it like liquid gold melting out of you? Is it a warm sensation, a cold sensation? What does it feel like to just let that tension dissipate? Okay, now focus on these points to ponder and the takeaways from this class. There is no spiritual neutral activity. An act is either directed at God or not. God makes things off limits because they're inherently tied down. Hashem is doing us a favor by letting us know what not to bother with. Okay, and my favorite way to think about it is the no trespassing sign. Ninety-nine percent of the world is neutral, which gives us the power to elevate and engage with most of the world. So don't get distracted by the one or half a percent that we're not supposed to touch. Warm fuzzies does not equal holy, okay? That's something that we can really, really think about. And the last thing I want you to take away is that even if God is kind, even if we stumble into the negativity, even if we go into some, if, even if we pass the no trespassing sign, he still gives us an opportunity to elevate it. And that is with the higher level of chuva, which actually transforms the negative into something positive. So we really have a lot of choices here, right? We have don't trespass. If we do trespass, we have an opportunity to get closer to God. And if we don't have that opportunity that gets closer to God, our soul will go through a cleansing process. Take a deep breath. Focus on your breath again, four counts in, four counts out. Start to 
be aware of the sensations in your body. What does your body feel like? The sounds, smells around you. Start to ground yourself a little. When you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay, how's everybody feeling? Okay, any questions come up when you meditated? We're still good. Okay, well, now that we're all on Schmoozy, if a question happens, you know where to go. Go into the Schmoozy app, follow me, go to podcast, find the chapter that you're looking for. The points to ponder will be on there. And you can always ask a question at any time. So, um, and I will see it whenever you post it, I will respond accordingly. So thank you all for being here. Um, we'll be back here next week. And anything else I needed to say before we're done? Be kind to yourself, okay? This is an amazing journey. Don't, not, nothing in Tanya should ever stress you out or make you feel overwhelmed or negative. If that's happening, please say so, because that means there's something wrong with how I'm teaching and the message that you're getting, and we need to fix that, okay? This is all supposed to just be a, a, a joyous and happy way to serve God and have small perspective changes that start to help us see the world in a different way, okay? So if that's not happening, you, you, you must reach out and tell me because that is on me, okay? So everybody, have a great, great week. And we'll see you back here next week.